0: That's BlueNile.com.
1: Hello, my name is Stuart Miles and welcome to the Pocket Podcast. This week, Pocket Cam Bunton is here to talk about the new OnePlus Nord launch. Can a new sub-400-pound smartphone really be an alternative to the 1,000-pound flagship devices on the market that we all lost after? And I talked to Daniel Manson. The founder of Flow, a drug-free treatment for depression compromising of a brain simulation headset and an app therapy program. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? But how does the new technology work and how can it help people suffering from depression further? And Chris Hall joins us to talk about the new Renault Zoe electric car. It offers plenty of range for the price, but is it enough to appeal to the wider audience? But first, Cam, tell us more about OnePlus Nord. So the OnePlus Nord uh,
2: launched, it was on Tuesday, I think they had their AR launch event, which was kind of unusual, but the the phone itself, it's uh, classed as a mid-ranger because it's not using the top-end Snapdragon processor inside, and it's an effort similar to what other companies are doing in the Android market, whereby they're trying to bring as close to flagship specs and performance as possible, but to a phone that costs about half the price of your typical £1,000 flagship phones.
1: Now, there must be some corners that have been cut here or is it just the case that if you're buying a thousand pound phone, you're being way overcharged?
2: Yeah, of course. I think there's there's definitely corners that have been cut. So, for instance, on the back, you've got a quad camera system, obviously featuring four cameras, but only one of those cameras, you would say, is of high quality. Um, Internally, the storage and the RAM is slightly slower. Uh, The processor, like we've mentioned, is a slightly lower spec processor. And the build quality, it's got a plastic frame rather than a full sort of aluminium, durable metal frame.
1: Okay, so when's this? So we've got a new, it's a new phone that's, there has been some corners cut. But ultimately, who is this aimed at? Who's, who's the primary target for this? Is it, it obviously isn't those flagship people that want everything and the latest and greatest, is it?
2: No, I think I think if you speak to OnePlus, I think they have a couple of different kinds of people in mind. And I think the, the primary target, they would say, would be the younger generation. So we're no longer talking about millennials anymore because millennials are my age and in their mid-30s and got jobs and houses and families and stuff. So this is like the Gen Z, um, the young people. And that's part of the reason why they called it the Nord is what they tell us. It's about that focus and that drive and that true North know uh, trying to stick to what their their strong values and beliefs are and a lot of their marketing has been focused on that kind of stuff as well so it's it's aimed at those young people basically
1: and and how does this compare to the standard OnePlus? i mean why have they created a new sort of naming convention and all the other stuff rather than just going with the OnePlus plus eight or nine or whatever we're up to now
2: i mean there's a few possible reasons why they would have gone for it i think part of it is they want to build excitement around a phone which is essentially a mid-range phone um, lots of other companies are building mid-range phones right now even apple re-released their iphone se at a similar sort of price point and um, so they're trying to build that excitement but there's a sense also that they're building a whole new range of products it's not just um, it's not just one phone it's this is the first of many nord branded devices from the sounds of things so It feels like this is sort of a good product to sort of launch that new brand name.
1: And do you think that's going to work? Do you think they'll actually
2: sell any? I think they'll sell a lot of these phones because there's also this whole segment of OnePlus fans who have maybe bought OnePlus phones five or six years ago when they used to be this cheap. Um, But obviously over the last few years, as consumer demand has pushed higher features and more premium build up the list of their sort of wish lists, their phones have got more expensive to the point where they're, they're almost out of reach of those fans that maybe bought a OnePlus 5 or a OnePlus 3. Um, and so it's it's giving them another a brand new phone so that they, that they can buy and that they can afford, essentially.
1: Yeah, and I suppose that's the thing, isn't it? This market now is getting very crowded. It used to be that there was the top-end, you know, £1,000 phone, which Apple and Samsung kind of dominate with the Galaxy range. But then you've now, with Samsung, you've got the A, You've got the A series. You've got, you know, um, Moto's coming, getting more and more powerful with their, with Motorola. Their G series has kind of seems to have got higher and higher on that spec. Other things coming in from Xiaomi, Redmi, uh, yeah, Oppo, all these other people. Where does this is OnePlus? Does it sit? Does it still sit in that market? Do you think it still has a potential to compete with those others, or is it just all getting a bit much of the muchness?
2: Yeah, I think, it's. I mean, a lot of them are going to be similar in a lot of ways, especially because OnePlus itself is part of a bigger group that includes Oppo and Realme and Vivo and and they sort of use a lot of the same technologies in that group. So I think for OnePlus, uh, that thing that stands out for them is their approach to software. It's getting closer and closer to being more like stock Android, but it's still fast and fluid and customizable. There's no additional bloatware or ads or any annoying things like that on it, which is a big appeal for OnePlus. So it's still, I think, it definitely feel it still stands out in that way.
1: Cool. Now you've got one. Um, I know you've only just had it for a day or two, so we'll probably cover it next week in a podcast. Uh, first off the bat impressions, is it is it good? Or do you think it's something you're still waiting to, to deliver your full verdict on?
2: Yeah, I mean, I've used it for a couple of days, and it's one of those phones where I feel like OnePlus has made those right compromises, because when I'm using it, I don't really miss anything from any of my other phones, maybe except for the camera system. Um, It feels like a good quality phone, and it will
1: serve a lot of consumers really well, I think. Still to come, Chris gives us his verdict on the Renault Zoe.
3: Yeah, it's a a useful car. I wouldn't say it's a family car, but it does have back doors. So you could put the kids into the back. Getting the adults in the back is a little bit more uncomfortable, especially if you're going to be in there for any length of time.
1: Flow is a drug-free treatment for depression, compromising a brain stimulation headset and therapy app. The idea is that headsets simulates and rebalances activity in areas of the brain known to be affected by depression. And in clinical studies, this type of brain stimulation produces similar impact to antidepressants, but with far fewer and less severe side effects. I spoke to the company's founder, clinical psychologist Daniel Manson, about the 400-pound gadget to find out more and started by asking him just how flow actually worked.
0: So um, we have been... Um, on the market for about two two years but we've been developing this product uh, which is a treatment for uh, what we call unipolar depression or major depressive disorder um, we started development about four and a half years ago um, the treatment is a a combination product, it's between a, um, it's a combination between a brain stimulation headset and a behavioral therapy app Uh, it treats depression by giving a weak electric current to the brain and at the same time teaching the user about how to eat better sleep better perform physical exercise and how to meditate in the best way possible in order to reduce depression
1: so how did you come up with with the idea because that doesn't sound like something you just go oh yeah that works
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's true so um when i went through the psychologist program in, in Sweden. Uh, I did my master thesis on uh, this technology called TDCS. And this is the same technology that we are using in, uh, in this, uh, you could call it a helmet or a headband or whatever you want. Um, it's stands for transcranial direct current stimulation. And it turned out that um, when I did this master thesis, um, it was an up and coming technology. Um, but it turned out Quite quickly, that um, this is a very effective way of treating depression. Uh, there were a bunch of studies coming out, double blinded uh, RCT studies done in and published in, in very good journals. Um, so I had the idea that why don't we combine this, which is a very safe method also that you can use at home, with what we know mm-hmm. from psychology, uh, being true for hundreds of years that. Um, that you can treat by, by talking to someone and making sure that they know everything about uh, how to treat it themselves. But if you combine these, it becomes a very, very strong treatment solution. So that's what we did, me and my, my co-founder, Eric, who's more from the computational neuroscience side.
1: And so this doesn't involve any... You don't have to take any drugs. You don't have to get a prescription for this. It's just no. you, you...
0: So this is a medication-free treatment, and, and that's the... Uh, That's one of the the many positive things about it. Uh, Not that we are against the uh, medication in any way. It helps a lot of people. Um, But we also know that there are a bunch of side effects that comes with most medications, and so also is true for for, uh, antidepressant medication. So this is a non-medication or medication-free treatment, uh, which, as I said before, combines brain stimulation with uh, psychological therapy in in one solution.
1: And how successful is it?
0: (laughs) It's it's very successful. Uh, If you look at the studies, you could see that um, when when we look at this specific technology and this specific that we call a protocol, meaning that we stimulate for 30 minutes a day um, for five times per week for, for two weeks and then two times per week as a kind of a maintenance phase, you could see roughly the same effect as a high dose of of antidepressant medication, and uh, then you can add on the effect of the behavioral therapy program that we are we are adding through the app. So it's a, I would say it's a very uh, highly effective method. Um, we have internal data now um, that we have not gone public with yet, actually, but I can tell you now that. Um, this data suggests that uh, 81% get some kind of an improvement within three weeks. Um, We also see that um, we have uh, mood, positive mood changes uh, in general or uh, yeah, in in general uh, around 35% get, get that. So um, we also have reduction in anxiety and, and, and and suicidal ideation also. Um, So it's a, it's an effective method. It Doesn't work for everybody, we should say, but um, it's, it's a, it's a nice treatment to do, uh, even before medication.
1: It seems that society as a whole is now becoming more aware of depression. And, you know, there's been a lot of uh, focus from that, you know, in the last year or so, why, why do you think only now are we starting to see that this is a thing? compared to, to, you know, perhaps over a decade ago where it would just be sort of, come on, just get on with it kind of attitude.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a very difficult question to answer. Uh, I think there are many, uh, people out there who, who try to give explanations to why this is happening now. We have a social media society where, uh, where many people are uh, able to speak out, uh, in many different ways, which I think is, is good in general. Um. But there are also many other things um, happening at the same time that I think could contribute to to that openness. Um, we have a yeah, we have we have, we have a, a better openness and uh, a lot more interest in it. Um, not, not sure if I can give you a, a very clear answer on it. Uh, I I just think it's good, and I think that some of the solutions that are coming forward, you now with telehealth, but also other kind of of uh, treatments Uh, it's very interesting extremely interesting we see vr coming strongly and we see this kind of brain stimulation techniques also coming very strongly uh, together with some new medication Uh, not that much has happened uh, in the last two decades or so Um, but there are some interesting solutions such as ketamine for example um, for very severely depressed patients. It's a very interesting area at the moment.
1: And it's one of those things, I suppose, is is how much of an impact do you think depression is having on society at the moment? I suppose more people are becoming aware of it. There's more chance that if you're listening to this, you know someone that suffers from depression or, you know, even maybe yourself. But I'm just curious of how, how you think, you know, how much of an impact that's having on society.
0: I think it has a strong impact on society because you. You see, uh, during a lifetime, it's about 20% of the population who are suffering uh, at one time or another uh, from depression, about twice as many women as, as men, according to the latest statistics. Um, but we also see, of course, the, the families being affected by it. Um, it has an extreme toll on, on the people around, people who are suffering from depression uh, also um and um yeah it's you can also talk about things that that depression affects when it comes to diseases so if you have a comorbid morbidity that is for example diabetes we know that mm. if you have depression at the same time and you have a harder time following the treatment protocol in the correct way which could have devastating even fatal uh, consequences so uh, it's a very it's a very, very difficult disease um, and has a lot of uh, impact on other diseases also.
1: Now, one of the things that I've noticed with Flow is that it, obviously you've got the headset, but as you say, it comes with an app in itself. Um, how does the app fit into it? And and can you use the app on its own without the headset?
0: You can use the app. The app is free, uh, free downloadable. downloadable. Um, what I think is important to say is that uh, we're trying to give the user as much, um, po- as much possibilities as possible uh, for them to be able to get rid of depression. And therefore we decided very early on that um, we should combine these two things. You need that extra push, you can almost say a biological treatment in order to get out of the rumination, get out of, of this energy um, loss that you have during during depression. And uh, you, you want to get that extra boost. But in the end, you need to change, uh, or many people need to change behavior also. they need to start, if they aren't already exercising, they may need to change their uh, eating habits, um, or different other things uh, that could be important. So, so we try to give them uh, a more holistic treatment then maybe what is the case with when you're getting uh, uh, pills, for example?
1: And do you, and do you think this is this suitable for everybody? Say, if I think hmm, I'm feeling a bit downbeat today, and I have done for the last couple of days, do you think this is something I should go and then invest in, or do you think it, is it one of those devices where I've needed to go and see the doctor and say, and him say, well, actually, him or her say, you know, I think you are suffering from depression. We need to look at ways of of resolving this.
0: Yeah. And that's an extremely important question. This is a medical uh, device. It's a medical treatment, um, meaning that you should have the diagnosis of major depressive disorder before you start using it. This is not for the, I mean, everyday blues uh, or feeling down after a uh, tough day at work or something like that. This is for uh, if you've been diagnosed with clinical depression, then you should use it. Uh, we always encourage users strongly that you should have a contact with a healthcare professional um, before you start using it um, because it is a serious disease. And uh, if something were to happen, it's uh, if you need to increase your other kinds of treatments uh, or go up in, in dosage or medication or something else. Um, then you should be able to to do that uh, quickly. So this is an add-on treatment. It's another tool in the toolbox uh, for people suffering, um, but it is a medical device. That's very important to say.
1: And, and where do you see this eventually going in the future? I mean, along you must have a you've obviously got a roadmap of of where you want to go and and yeah. and how far if you come along that roadmap. Is this just the beginning, or is this kind of the finished kind of product, or?
0: No, this is, the, this is definitely the beginning. Uh, this is a, it's a good treatment. Uh, we envision this, um, of course, from a biased point of view, but, but still envision this as um, a treatment that you can use before you start using antidepressants or um, to boost the effect of antidepressants. Um, in the future, I see that we could go into a more personalized stimulation because this is a one-size-fits-all stimulation. It's 2.0 milliamps that goes in and they use it for 30 minutes. Um, in the future, you could see a more personalized approach to that stimulation. Um, but you can also see more personalized uh, CBT programs, for example, in the app. Uh, more existential therapy maybe in the app or some other kind of therapy that suits different uh, people in a different way. So I think personalization would be the, the way to go forward.
1: Renault was one of the first companies to come out with a fully-fledged electric car. The likes of the Zoe and the Nissan Leaf dominated that first-gen space, seemingly a good step ahead of the mainstream in offering electric driving. That's one of the main reasons why Zoe is one of the top-selling European electric cars available today. The latest version of the Zoe, starting from just over £26,000 and swelling to over thirty k for the top-of-the-range option, is back and trying to continue to move the story forward. But does it? Chris Hall has been driving one to find out and is here to tell us more.
3: Well, why do you start with the Renault Zoe? It's sort of an icon by now because it's been around for a number of years. And the latest iteration is definitely a better looking car. It's less bubbly, it's slightly sharper, and that kind of fits the, the new generation of vehicles that were coming through. But this car is really about the battery story. And so many people say, I can't have an electric car because you just don't have the range. Well, Renault have a novel approach. Well, it's not novel. It's a good approach in the Zoe in that they're offering all of their models with exactly the same size battery, which is 52 kilowatts. And that means whether you're at the £26,000 end or over 30000 end, you're still getting decent range. And just to put that into context, at the lower end, the competition has a battery life or has a range that is perhaps 100 miles shorter than this. So... If you're looking at the £26,000 model, then you are getting good range for your money. And and to me personally, that's one of the most important things about buying an electric car. So to to drive it itself, I mean, it's fun, it's nippy, it's small, it's compact, it's designed as a city car, and that's where you'll find it. Um, That means you have to make some compromises on the interior. The back seat isn't very big, but there is a sort of bias towards boot space, so the boot is fairly large if you compare that to the honda e which has more cabin space and a smaller boot you know there's there's lots of options appearing now so that you can get what you want
1: so it's kind of ideal for the so it's kind of ideal for the uh trip to the supermarket for example because there's plenty of boot space to chuck in your, your weekly shop
3: yeah it's a, it's a useful car i wouldn't say it's a family car but it does have back doors so you could put the kids into the back getting the adults in the back is a little bit more uncomfortable, especially if you're <laughs> going to be in there for any length of time. There is a quirk with this car though, which comes back to, uh, comes back to the battery and comes back to charging. Renault want to charge you extra for faster charging, which is a bit of an anomaly really, because part of yeah. the story about getting people driving these cars and, and reducing range anxiety is saying, but you can fast charge it, stop for a cup of coffee, top up your car and off you go. Unfortunately on the Zoe, you get 22 kilowatts AC charging, which is what you'd get from a plug socket or some types of public chargers or three-phase p- supply or home if you were lucky enough to have three-phase, which not a lot of people do. If you want more than that, if you want 50 kilowatts, you have to pay a thousand pounds extra for that charging gear. Oh, if you don't pay that, you don't even get the socket on your car. It's not like you can plug into a fast DC charger and then get the 22 kilowatts. You can't plug it in at all. And that's a real limitation because you get this battery, which is offering you good range. But if you were to stop on the motorway and you hadn't paid for the fast charging kit, you'd have to sit there for a couple of hours to be able to charge the battery up again.
1: Which, is, which as we know from driving electric cars, is kind of a is a deal breaker for a lot of people. So that's a strange admission to make that if you want, I presume it's the Chidamo stuff that they that you're paying extra for or Universal Type 2 or whatever, isn't it? But it's it's strange that you'd have to pay extra for that. Is that is that the main problem here with this car?
3: Yeah, I, th- I think it is. I mean, and it's not necessarily a problem, it's a consideration. It means that, as with all electric cars, you have to think about how you're going to use it because there are some cars that are obviously much better for range. Like Tesla has big batteries, they cost more money, but they do go a long way and you'll get over 300 miles from it. If you don't need mm. to go 300 miles, if you don't have that much money to spend, you have to really look at what you want to do with your car because... For example, the Mini Electric has a smaller battery, but it will charge much faster. So somewhere in there is a balance between how far do I want to go, how long do I want to spend charging as I as I do that. If you're one of those people who is going to be charging at home all the time, you're going to be using it for a short commute, say 30 miles each way, which is what they see as the average customer, then there's no problem with not having the fast charging. But if you suddenly jump on the motorway and say, I'm going to go to Cornwall today, I'm going to do something else. I'm going to drive 400 miles. That's when you start to encounter these problems.
1: But overall, get past that. Is it is it fun to drive? Is it is it a nice experience?
3: Oh, it is. It's a fantastic car. It's it's not as plush as some of the cars further up the range, say Tesla Model Three, and moving into some of the stuff that you get from Audi and Mercedes these days. Obviously, those have higher quality interiors. But it's a good compact electric car. It drives well. It's fun. You can feel that it's like fizzy and exciting getting off a line. And because it's so compact, it's really, really easy to park and you can tuck it into just about any space that you can find. So, yes, it's a, it's, a, it's a great car, especially for those in urban or suburban environments. Great range for your money. That's the thing. Just watch out for the charging.
1: Well, that's it for this week's show. Thanks for listening. Until next time, pip pip.
0: Here's a cool fact.